Amen. I'm just so excited about the staff that God has brought together here. Nine months, a year ago, we were, we were brand new staff, in a sense, uh, together, and God's really knitting us together, and our passions, our gift sets are all, man, working together. So just praise God. That sometimes doesn't happen in a church, so just praise God. Uh, we are in the book of Mark chapter 2, and you'll, you'll probably need a Bible this morning, so you can get it out on your phone if you can kind of control yourself in a sense, right? When you open that phone up, it's like, oh, Twitter, this or that. Uh, but we also have paper Bibles, right? And there's nothing else but a Bible in those. So uh, you can snag those from the side, uh, uh, the ends of your pews as well. So we've got uh, paper Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you can keep one of those uh, as a gift from us. Uh, also, we've been encouraging folks, hey, uh, grab the curriculum for the series or a journal, uh, because our hope is that in this series, in the book of Mark, that you would meet the living Jesus, uh, that you'd be introduced to who he is, and he's kind of surprising, right? Uh, he, the way he acts, what he does, who he embraces, whom he condemns, it, it will shock us a bit, and, and so much so in a way that it draws us to him. To love him, to worship him, to give our whole lives to him. When we see who he really is, man, we are drawn to him as a savior. So that's what our hope is, that we would introduce people to Jesus. But then also as we meet Jesus in the book of Mark, that we would then follow Jesus and walk with him towards those who don't yet know him. That we would introduce our neighbors, co-workers and friends, family members to this Jesus who transforms lives. A gal came uh, a couple weeks back, a friend had invited her, and uh, she immediately got connected in the church, and then uh, this kind of shift happened from uh, who she thought this Jesus was, what she thought Christianity was all about, to then seeing who he really is and what Christianity is all about. We had lunch this past Thursday, and she was sharing, you know, she's kind of been living her life in a way that she wants to be good enough and do enough to be loved by God and acceptable to his people, the church. And, and that's a pretty common way to think about what Christianity is all about, right? Like, you got to do better, be more moral, uh, be more kind to people, keep the Ten Commandments, right? In order that you might be the kind of person that God would love and would be acceptable to the community of the church. But, but, but when we read about who Jesus is and what he's all about, it's just, he flips that upside down. Because the good news of the gospel, and we were talking this through on Thursday, is that we don't do more in order to be loved by God, but he has done everything for us because he so deeply loves us. That, that the life we live, we could never stack up enough good and we would actually be wearing ourselves out doing so in anxiety and anguish. But we, we are sinful people that, that really, unfortunately, in one sense, that the bad news of the gospel is that the wages of our sin is death. And we could never do anything to make up for it. But his love for us is so great that the, the Jesus we meet in the book of Mark is a king who hangs himself on a cross. He lives an absolutely perfect life in our place. And then he dies this sacrificial death on the cross that then God the Father would welcome us in as his sons and daughters by grace because he would receive what Jesus has done on our behalf. 
All we need to do is do nothing at all but have faith in Jesus and receive what he's done. So we, we talked through that at lunch. And then we read this little verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 that summarizes that idea. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it reads, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And she's reading this out loud. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourself. It's a gift of God. Not by works. And she stops and, and looks up and says, wow. Wow. Not by works so that no one can boast. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works so no one can boast. That's the Jesus we want to meet in this historic account of his life. And that's the Jesus we want to introduce people to, that they might have their lives transformed. And we're going to look at one of these accounts of Jesus' interaction with the paralytic this morning. And I think it will shift our paradigms a little bit in our own lives and in the lives of those around us in a way that we would be drawn to him more and more and we would so deeply and desperately want our neighbors, coworkers, and friends to know him as well. So after we've gone through the story together, I'll just lift out two uh, principles from the narrative and focus on those for a second. And then we'll be reminded of who our Savior is as we take communion together. Okay, so let's get into it. Let's meet this Jesus that we might uh, be transformed by him and introduce him to others. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. So uh, hopefully you're with me there in your Bibles. And, and you can uh, write in your Bibles. You can uh, journal notes. Uh, what is the Lord speaking to you in his scriptures this morning that you might know him and be transformed by him? Chapter 2, verse 1. Well, when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that no one, there was no more room, not even at the door. So here's the scene. Uh, he, Jesus, has returned to Capernaum. This is in uh, northern Israel. This is his hometown, Galilee, uh, around the Sea of Galilee, right? So uh, Capernaum is also Peter's hometown. Uh, Peter, the apostle, who kind of walks with Jesus his whole life. Uh, uh, Peter, who writes the book of Mark along with John Mark. So Peter's home is in Capernaum. It's very likely, it's a huge home, we know, uh, because he has all these gatherings in it. Uh, it's very likely that Jesus is even hanging out in Peter's home in Capernaum. Uh, Court and I got to go to Israel, and, and one of the stops was Capernaum. And so we go where, where scholars think, man, this is probably his home. Uh, you see the foundation still. It's one of the largest homes in this small little town up in northern Israel. And, and you're like, wow, man, maybe that's right where this was happening at Jesus' house. And it's packed. It's packed. Many are gathered together, so there's no more room, not even at the door. And so these crowds are following Jesus. He, he's kind of uh, rustling feathers, but like at the same time, he's healing a ton of people. He's this new teacher in town, and, and everyone is kind of flocking to him a lot because they want to be healed physically. And it's so packed that you can't even get in the doorway. Uh, but we also see that it's reported that he was at home. Like, there's this group, and we'll meet them as well, the Pharisees, the scribes, who, who are furious with Jesus at this time because he is presenting a system which is the exact opposite of their system. Their system was do enough, be enough, be good enough to be loved by God and acceptable to us. And Jesus says, no, I flip that upside down. His ethic is one that is, you have been given your goodness by the grace of God for the Savior to come. And that's what he's doing right here. He's preaching the word to them. Verse 2, 
It's packed. There's no room. He's talking. He's preaching. He's teaching the word of God, which is there's a savior to come. And he's told them, and he's telling them, man, I'm it. <laughs> They're gathering there and they come. They're bringing to him a paralytic, verse 3, by four men, four friends of his. And so the... They're packed and no one can come in, but these four friends carry this one paralytic to the doorway to bring him to Jesus. It's what good friends do. They take you to the feet of Jesus and they, they're, they, they've gathered up this paralytic, they're, they're a good friend, and, and most likely, I, I don't think this guy was paralyzed from birth. I, I think probably somewhere along the way, uh, he lost the use of his limbs and uh, he knows what it was to walk, and, and he has these four friends who are with him. Because in this time, uh, if you found yourself kind of a beggar from birth, you were, you were outcast and not a part of any community, and therefore probably wouldn't have had these four friends. So this guy is here, and he's got four friends, and he's carrying them to the feet of Jesus. Because they know if we can just get my friend to the feet of Jesus, he's going to do something amazing. If I can just get my friend to the feet of Jesus, he's going to do something amazing. But the crowd is a barrier, right? We said, verse 4 now, when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. The, the crowd is a barrier. They can't get inside. The, the roof then is this barrier. Uh, they, they can't get in the house. Even when they climb out, they're like, uh, so they start digging at this thatch roof. It's probably uh, mud and hay and, and uh, woven together in a way that they start uh, ripping at the roof. And, and Jesus, as teachers would normally do, is probably seated and everyone's standing listening to him in the house. And he, he's kind of uh, sees, uh, someone's interrupting his sermon as the, the roof starts falling and crumbling. Well, see, these friends, they are very intentional. They go out of their way and then, they don't care if they look silly to break somebody to the feet of Jesus. So they're up there on the roof. They're digging through the roof. And then I love this little phrase, right, in verse 4. And they made an opening. They said, let's get him down that opening. They, they, they made this little uh, opening in the roof where they could get their friend through to Christ. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now get the scene here. Uh, Jesus looks at the four of these guys and their, their friend. He's probably like looking up to the four and the, the, the guy they've lowered down to the ground. He sees their faith collectively, the, the faith of the paralytic and the faith of these friends. And he says, man, you guys came here to receive from me, Jesus. You, you had faith. You trusted that I, the Christ, could do something about your situation. And he says, man, son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine the moment? What the heck are you talking about? The paralytic must have thought in his head. What? That's not why I'm here. That's not, don't you see? I can't walk. I'm on this map. My friends had to bring me here. We've heard you heal everyone. And so I'm, I'm here for healing. This is the problem. What are you talking about? My sins are forgiven. Can you imagine, right? Like G Jesus, now, now Jesus knows this guy's got a deeper problem with, with grander implications in his life that he's uh, at enmity or a rebel with the living God himself who's actually standing right before him who he lays at the feet of right now. 
He knows what the guy's biggest problem is. And Jesus is dealing with it right there. But this guy must have thought, that's not why I came to you. (laughs) And Jesus steps right in that moment. He says, I'm going to take care of your biggest need, your greatest problem. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, though, and the story shifts towards attention to them in verse 6. The scribes were sitting there questioning Jesus in their hearts. They don't even say it out loud, right? Uh, they're, they're standing there. These are the, the, the religious authorities of the times. These are the ones who have set up that system of be good enough to get to God and to be acceptable to us. And they're sitting there. They start questioning in their hearts. Why does this man, that's a kind of pejorative term in the Greek, why does this chump, basically? Who is this chump to speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but one God? That's how it goes. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Uh, who, who, who has the ability to forgive sins but God? Now, they're right. They're right. They're right. See, the, only God can forgive sins, and this is why uh, both the one who is wronged is the only one who can offer forgiveness, and, and sins are a situation of great authority that only God can speak over. So, so they're right, right? Like, uh, first, only the one who is wronged can offer forgiveness for the wrong done. So if I come down into the congregation right now, and I punch the gal who is sitting next to you, which would be terrible. And you are sitting there, you say, Pastor Matt, I forgive you. Well, she's crying over here saying, saying, wait, 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 he punched me. I have to offer him forgiveness. I am the one wronged, right? So, so in our situation, we have wronged our God. Uh, there is uh, not one holy. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it is him we have wronged. Uh, David will say in Psalm 51, against you only, God, have I sinned. Our sins are against God. So he is the one who has to forgive us, which is why it is so important that God is standing uh, above this paralyzed man and in front of these Pharisees who are questioning, who are you to forgive sins? Only God can do that. And Jesus is thinking, you're right. Only the one wrong can offer forgiveness. And also, only God has authority to forgive sins, uh, sins that are done against the eternal and almighty God that that put us uh, in a broken relationship with him. Only he has authority to forgive sins. Eternal wrong done to an eternal God, only he can forgive. And immediately, Jesus, who's perceiving this in his spirit, that they questioned within themselves, said to them. All right, so at this point, they haven't said it out loud, right? And, and Jesus is thinking, I know exactly what you're thinking because I'm God. Now, they should, be, they should start to tremble at this point because they haven't said anything and, and he knows exactly what they're thinking. So he says, why do you question these things in your hearts? They're like, oh, how do you know that? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Uh, which is easier to say? Well, at surface level, it might be easier to say, hey, your, sons are, your sins are forgiven. Because in a sense, you can't 
prove that right away? Like, how, how do you prove that Jesus has actually forgiven this guy's sins? Of course, it'd be harder to say, uh, pick up your mat and walk, because we would see it happen right here. But it's actually super hard, as we're seeing right now, as the Pharisees are, are, are growing in their plan to kill Jesus because of who he claims to be, God himself. It's a very hard thing and a very, maybe even harder thing to do to actually forgive sins. It's going to put him in a very precarious situation with everyone in the culture, uh, these Jewish leaders who are now going to take him to death. And it also is uh, truly a nearly impossible thing to do, which he is going to do as he heads to the cross and offers us forgiveness, taking on the penalty himself. Uh, so it's a question that everyone has argued over, over time of oh, which is harder, which, which do you think is harder. But it's doing exactly what Jesus wants to do in that moment. It's churning their mind and they're thinking, oh my gosh, he knows what we're thinking and we have no idea how to answer that question. But that you may know, he says in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now he turns his gaze to the paralytic. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And notice the reason which he physically heals this man before him to prove to the Pharisees, to prove to the crowd, to prove to this man who has just been forgiven of his greatest and deepest need that Jesus is who the Son of Man that he's the son of man. There are three titles that are uh, the most uh, repetitiously used of Jesus. The first is the Christ in the Old Testament. He's the anointed one, the, the chosen one, the Christ, right? That's, that's number one used in the New Testament about Jesus. Uh, number two used is Lord. He's Lord, right? He uh, is called Lord all through the New Testament. Now, the, the third one on the list, the uh, third most commonly used of who Jesus is, is the son of man around 80 times. Uh, but here's what's cool. For Jesus, when he self-identifies, when he says, this is who I am, it's his favorite term, the son of man. And now we sometimes think, oh, he's associating himself with humanity and his humility and that kind of thing. No, it's actually quite the opposite. In Daniel chapter 7, we have this title, the son of man. And the ancient of days, the God himself is, is bestowing on the son of man all authority. The Ancient of Days is saying, the Son of Man, you have the right to judge all of humanity. The Ancient of Days is saying to the Son of Man, uh, you are the one who will descend into the kingdom which is yours and ascend. You are the Son of Man, the one with all authority. You are God himself coming from the heavens to earth and then returning, the Son of Man. Jesus says, yeah, you are right that only God can forgive sins. And I'm going to prove to you right now who I am. I'm the son of man you've been waiting for. So he says to this man before him, rise, pick up your mat and go home. And the man rose immediately. Man, what a moment for that guy. Right? I wonder if like, he felt it first or if he's like, okay, he says to do it, I'm going to do it. And then he stands up, he picks up his mat and he walks and he goes home. His whole life is changed, not physically, though physically, but because he's met and he knows his Savior, and it's changed everything about him. They're amazed, and they glorify God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. 
I want to lift uh, two principles. Uh, the first principle is this. Our felt needs lead or point to our deepest need. It's a broken world. There, there's uh, needs and longings in our life. This man experiences it through his uh, paralysis. He, he knows that something is broken. And he wants it fixed. And, and so he, he comes to Jesus. And Jesus in that moment, this kind of general moment, right, in, in one sense, it, it says uh, this, every felt need that we have in the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of our mind, the brokenness of our relationships, it all points to Jesus, our Savior, and what he is going to do in this moment, that, that our biggest, our grandest need is not what we feel at the surface or even uh, deep in our souls, but, but what goes deeper than that, that we need a restored relationship with the living God. It's our number one and eternal problem from now and always. And so when this guy shows up on the scene, he has that moment of, man, you don't realize what I'm here for. Jesus is like, I know exactly what your deepest and grandest and biggest problem is, and I'm going to heal that right now. Your sins are forgiven. You've placed your faith in me, which is to say you're receiving from me, Jesus the Christ. Now, now receive the forgiveness of your sins. You've wronged me, I forgive you. That guilt will linger no longer. You're made a son, you're made a daughter of the one true king. Now that's, that is our deepest and grandest need, a reconciled relationship with the living God. Nothing in our life goes right until that is reconciled. In all of eternity, we are doomed without him if that is not reconciled. It is our deepest, our grandest need. But I want to say specifically in our own life, we can find the pathway there to the feet of Christ by looking deeply into our felt needs. Because our felt needs lead to our deepest need. And so uh, here's a, a question you could uh, place yourself in the story with this man. It says, if I could only walk, right? How would he finish this? If I could only walk, then... See, that's the deeper thing under what he longs for. He, de he doesn't just want to walk. He wants his life back for a certain reason. Well, why is he designed? There's a myriad of reasons uh, to find yourself at the feet of Jesus through your felt needs. All right, he, you could answer the question, man. If I could only walk, then I could hang with my buddies again. We could play soccer again, man. I, I love them. They love me. We had a great relationship together. I want to be embraced. Feel it, the deepest need from the felt need. And Jesus is going to say, in the forgiveness of your sins, what you will find is the deepest embrace, the most loving God you've ever known. Or he might be saying, man, if I could just walk again, I could make a ton of cash. I mean, I was on a trajectory to kind of go higher and higher in my job. And, then, and if I could have just kept at it, then, man, people would look at me and they'd say, what an amazing leader. Or I'd have so much cash that I'd be absolutely secure, me and my family, right? Uh, either validation as a great leader or, or security for he, himself and his family, right? It's not the walking he wants, but what it will take him to in his deepest ways that we all long for. And, and Jesus says, you want validation, I'll give you validation. You're a son, you're a daughter of the one true king. He says, you want security? You'll never feel secure with enough in your bank account or with this job or that job. I'll show you eternal security, Jesus says, as he purchases us as his own on the cross, now and forever. 
Oh, it's the then we're looking for in our life. Then. What, what do we most long for in our felt needs and what are we hoping it will take us to? If I could just do well enough in school, man, then I'd be pleasing to, to myself and my family. If, if I could just attain this, if my health were that, if I could just reconcile this relationship, if I could just get that spouse or that child, if this or that could come. And look, often these are wonderful felt needs, true, good felt needs in a broken world. But there's always something, sometimes that we keep going deeper and deeper. If I could just get that, then all would be well. And Jesus says, you'll find that in no other place. And it's in grace and mercy that he refuses at first for this paralytic that he might find his deepest and greatest need in Christ. Uh, in, in this book, we're giving away in the back, and, and we're encouraging folks to invite neighbors, coworkers, and friends to read with them. Um, uh, Tim Keller writes, uh, in Jesus the King, he, he writes this. Over the years, I've known a number of people who are struggling as actors and actresses. Now, he's in New York, right? So he, he meets a lot of these folks on Broadway and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, for us, we could fill in like the D.C. staffer. Somebody's come to live a life of purpose, right? Uh, actors and actresses working in restaurants and punching tickets and theaters to pay their bills and then become famous, when they were struggling like all of us, they said, if only I could make it in the business, if only I had this or that, I'd be happy. They were like so many other people, stressed, driven, easily upset. But when they actually got the fame or the power they'd been longing for, they became insufferable, unstable, angry, and manic. Not just arrogant, as you might expect, worse than that, they were now unhappier than they used to be. It goes on, I pity, no, really, I do, celebrities who were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. <laughs> More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed. The morning after each of them became famous, they then wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame, that thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, that had happened and nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. And Jesus said to this paralytic, says to us, he says, it is a great mercy sometimes even when we don't get our felt need met because he meets us in the deepest places of our minds and our hearts. And then even when he does meet us in those felt needs and overwhelms us with his grace, even in those, we are a changed, transformed man or woman. See, I, I think for this paralytic who then walked away I think at 37,592 years from now, when he's looking back in all of eternity, he's going to be even more joyous and overwhelmed and grateful that he met his Savior that day, not just someone who allowed him to walk. And now he gets this little foretaste of all of eternity, right? Uh, holistic healing, everything that's broken, mended. 
his body working perfectly as it ought to by God's grace and one day will by God's grace. But he also met his Savior who he could then embrace and have all the deepest needs of his uh, life met in his embrace, in his validation, in his peace, in his purpose. When the Son of Man touched him with grace and mercy that day. He got a foretaste of that kingdom when that, when that son of man who, who has now ascended will descend one more time and make all things new here. Our felt needs lead to our deepest needs, the need of a savior and his mercy and grace and embrace the forgiveness of our sins and a welcoming of a relationship in, with himself. I'm going to give us time in a minute here when we prepare for communion to think about our felt needs and how it's driving us to our Savior rather than just the meeting of that felt need. But next, principle number two as we close. Bring people to Jesus. Bring people to Jesus. You know, Jesus is obviously the, the hero of this story. I mean, he blows their minds with amazement. Uh, but then, probably second, it's those four friends, really good friends, uh, who introduce their friend to Jesus, right? When we bring people to Jesus, we first introduce them to Jesus, right? So, uh, you, you know, it, we put it this way here at the well often. Uh, we want to be a people who fall in love with our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, family members who don't yet know Jesus. And, and then we want to be a people who keep coming back to Jesus for the, the depths of our, our deepest needs and relationship with him, to orient our whole lives around him, to worship him, to follow him. In a sense, we want to fall in love with Jesus over and over again. And then over time, here's what we hope. Our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers whom we love, the people we love and the Jesus we love, man, they come together. I can't wait till they meet each other. In every moment, I'm hoping, man, I, I want this guy to meet this Jesus. I want this gal to meet this Jesus. I want this guy's daughter to meet Jesus. I can't wait till they meet each other. Just looking for those moments, living intentionally. You, you were given a, a to whom, how document on your way in right here. We're not going to spend time to go through it, but I encourage you to spend time this week going through it. The, the first piece is just writing three names of a neighbor or coworker, or a friend, a family member who doesn't know Jesus and saying, I want to live intentionally that this person I love would, would come to meet the Savior I know and love. That's what these guys do. They're intentional. Nothing stops them. They even look silly in the pursuit. I, I want you to meet him. They live their lives for it. Uh, I found one of the best ways to do that, to make that happen, is to invite, uh, to, in a sense, like integrate your life, right? Your, your church friends and your not church friends, bring them together. In your backyard, uh, uh, at a bar, wherever. Bring them together. You want these people to meet these people, uh, that, that the body of Christ might meet the people I love and they might grow in relationship together. And then as you continue to have conversations, you can say something like, hey, come on on Wednesday. We read the Bible together on Wednesday nights around the fire. And they're like, I don't know, that sounds weird. And you can say, well, John will be there. John? Oh, the guy we've hung out with a couple times? All right, fine, he's there, I'll go. And you're like, hey, I know it's weird we read the Bible, but it, we'll keep it not too weird for you, right? We'll all be there together. 
integrate your life. Your, your friends who know Jesus, your friends who don't know Jesus, bring them together in a relationship that, that they might meet the body of Christ. Look for just how Jesus is good news to your neighbor, your coworker, your friend who doesn't know him. See, here's what will happen as you get to know them more deeply. You'll see the felt needs in their lives. You, you kind of see that sometimes, even just from afar. But as you get to know them even more, you see how the felt needs, the brokenness, what people are longing for, well, it's met specifically with the good news of Jesus in different ways at different times in different people's lives that you know and love. You might see someone's life who's just dealing with guilt from their past and they cannot get over it. And so much so that they won't even go out on any weekend to hang out with any friends because they're just, man, what if, what if I go there and I'm rejected by them? I'll never be accepted because, man, I know who I am. I know what I've done. They're kind of uh, locking themselves up. And here's a little line I use. In any situation where you can see a felt need connecting with the deepest need that our Savior meets, in, in any of those situations, here's a line I use. Hey, this will sound a little weird, but can I tell you the story of the Bible and kind of how Jesus fits in for that in my life? Now, most times people say, sure, sure. And you can share how in your life, man, you had this thing that you were feeling super guilty about. And actually, it turns out much worse that you're way worse a person than you thought. And, and then you got married and you, that was confirmed. Gosh, I am really awful. And then, but over time, what you've seen is this Jesus lives a perfect kind of way that you never could have lived. And then he forgives you. And you go through the good news of the gospel. How he's embraced you and forgiven you. You say, I think that might be something deep in your own life that you might have to wrestle with at some point. Or even just leave it there. Just share the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. And we need to not just introduce our non-believing friends to Jesus, but every day, every week, every hour, remind each other of who this Jesus is. And that's why we do this every week that we would not forget who our Savior is. We would not forget what he's done. That, that we would remind each other in the different felt needs of our lives, man, are you going right to the heart of who Jesus is with that deepest need? That when your friend is tearing himself up at work and his family's falling apart, you say, gosh, are you going to that with Jesus? And, and when you're struggling with the sin and, and guilt of secret sin, that, that he might say, are you struggling? Are you taking those things to the feet of Jesus? When, when, when a friend says, I don't want to reconcile uh, with my family because, man, it was just too deep they cut. Are you taking that to the feet of Jesus? Whatever it is, wherever it is, are you taking it to the feet of Jesus? We got to remind each other what a mighty Savior we have. So that's what I want us to do this morning when we go to the feet of Christ right now. Is there a deep felt need in your life? A felt need. You're like, man, I, I really need this to happen. Well, talk to him about that. Get to the why. Why do you really deeply, desperately need that? And a lot of these are really good needs that we, we're longing for from our Savior. When we're asking, would you please give me this or that or make this happen in my life or reconcile this in my life? A lot of them are great Real good things to pursue. But get to the depth of them. And take that depth, that deep thing in your mind, your heart, right to him right now. And say, Savior, meet me in that, please. Meet me in that. And be reminded of who he is and what he's done. And how he welcomes you in by grace this morning.
Let's take and eat together when you're ready after talking to him in prayer.